What are some of the main takeaways from the latest IPCC report, according to researchers who contributed to it? And can solar panels produce electricity at night? Hey y'all, welcome to the Climate Recap from the Becosphere Climate Corner, your go-to place for international and U.S.-based climate news. I'm Becky Hogue, a science writer. Let's jump right into the news you need to start your day. More flooding in Australia? Sydney asked thousands in East Australia to evacuate Friday as heavy rains caused flash floods. Sydney has received more rainfall in the last four months than its average annual amount. Meanwhile, the World Health Organization recently stated that over half of the public health emergencies plaguing Africa right now are linked to climate change. And over in the U.S., we saw a heat wave Thursday in California. In Monterey, it got up to 84 degrees Fahrenheit, which is a lot for this time of year over here. Other parts of California got into the 90s. Meanwhile, California's snowpack for April is nearing a 70-year low due to a lack of precipitation in January, February, and March. Okay, let's talk about the IPCC report for a bit. As many of us know, the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change dropped its third report. This one is about what we're doing to reduce emissions and what can be done to avoid catastrophic climate chaos. This is the first time the IPCC report even talks about climate action. Carbon Brief asked some researchers who contributed to the report what they thought the most important insights were from this report. Here's what some said. Rapid and deep greenhouse gas reductions this decade are crucial to minimizing our chances of temporarily exceeding a 1.5 degrees Celsius temperature increase, which is now almost inevitable. Reliance on carbon dioxide removal to reverse this overshoot is now also unavoidable. The report is the first full WG3 assessment since the Paris Agreement, so it is the first time we can show that things are changing and productions of current policies show some effect. However, it is still absolutely insufficient. Providing increased low emissions energy to support decent living standards for all worldwide will have a negligible impact on global warming. In other words, this person is saying that global warming will not be heavily impacted by our increasing equitable treatment worldwide, so we should do that. A growing group of countries have shown sustained emissions reductions and have seen the advent of cheap renewables that will power electric vehicles, heat pumps, and other smart emissions-free technology. The urban share of emissions is substantial and continues to increase, which implies that for fast urbanizing areas, there are opportunities to plan and develop low-emissions urban systems. And the summary for policymakers highlighted the role of indigenous peoples and traditional communities. They protect a large part of the world's natural spaces and thus contribute significantly to the fight against climate change. All those statements were made by different climate scientists that contributed to the IPCC report. You can learn who said which statement and more statements in the Carbon Brief article, which will be linked in the description of this podcast episode. In another recent study, Colorado State researchers predict a above-average Atlantic hurricane season, which would be the seventh above-average season in a row. They're expecting 19 named storms and 9 hurricanes. The average is 14.4 storms a year, but 2021 saw 21 storms. 
Now over to some climate victories. We are seeing European countries speed up their clean energy transitions to move away from Russian fossil fuels. The advisory firm DNV predicts that European CO2 emissions will actually be 2.3% lower in 2030 than they would have been without the war. To aid in clean energy transition, Japan's Nissan is working with NASA and UC San Diego to develop a new type of battery for electric vehicles that can charge quicker and be lighter yet safer. Called an all-solid-state battery, this new battery type is safe enough to be used in pacemakers. The team is trying to avoid using expensive rare minerals in their design. Nissan expects to have a pilot plant up and running by 2024. Over in Australia, Indigenous groups successfully halted the Barossa gas project in Australia's Northern Territory after they took the South Korean government to court over it. The gas project was being funded by the Export-Import Bank of Korea. Shifting gears a bit, Pinterest announced that it would clamp down on climate misinformation on its app. It commits to removing any content that denies that climate change is happening or that humans are causing it. It will also take down any posts that try to discredit climate scientists or any misleading information about climate-induced extreme weather events. About 31% of U.S. adults under 30 get their news from Pinterest. Over in the U.S., Stanford University engineers have created a solar cell that can generate electricity at night. The cell has a thermoelectric generator, which can pull electricity from the small difference in temperature between the ambient temperature and the solar cell itself. The researchers can see this being used in off-grid and mini-grid operations. Very cool. And the Department of the Interior reversed a 1975 Indian Affairs policy that put the Bureau of Indian Affairs in charge of approving water projects on tribal lands. Now Indigenous groups can have more agency over their water infrastructure without needing DOI approval. Now for some climate fails. Methane emissions jumped by a record amount in 2021, beating the previous record set in 2020, according to the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, or NOAA. Methane is a more potent greenhouse gas than CO2, but it doesn't last in the atmosphere for as long. It's the second most emitted greenhouse gas behind carbon, and it's mostly from fossil fuel activities, livestock farming, habitat destruction, and landfills. During the UN Climate Conference last November, over 100 countries agreed to cut their methane emissions. Some top methane emitters, China and Russia, did not sign the pledge. Speaking of Russia, its invasion of Ukraine and the resulting destruction of its international relations with pretty much every country besides China and India is impacting polar science. Research to understand and monitor the Arctic and Antarctica relies heavily on collaborations between Russia, the U.S., and other countries. This is because Russia owns 53% of the Arctic Ocean coastline. Russia was recently suspended from participating in the Arctic Council due to the war. Russia is also a key player in Antarctica research. A few months of research disruption won't be too bad, but prolonged disruption can become a problem. Over in South America, ExxonMobil announced a $10 billion oil investment in Guana the same day the IPCC report was released. The project is set to add a quarter million barrels of oil a day to Exxon's production by 2025. Now let's look at Canada. 
Shortly after, Canada's Prime Minister Justin Trudeau announced a new climate plan to reduce emissions from fossil fuels, the Canadian government approved a $12 billion offshore oil project off the coast of Newfoundland and Labrador provinces. Called Bay du Nord, the project will be completed by Norway's Equinor ASA after an environmental assessment concluded that there wouldn't be any significant adverse effects to the area. I guess they did not include climate change in the assessment. Canada said it's working on guidelines to require new oil and gas projects to reach net zero emissions by 2050. Honestly, the only way they can do that is if they either have those projects go offline or they only count direct emissions because carbon capture can't make up for all of these emissions. Now to the U.S. An issue with utility-scale solar is that it takes up a lot of land. As a result, there's a fast-growing movement via social media campaigns, mostly on Facebook, to prevent solar developers from securing new sites in rural America. Often, arguments against solar installations have to do with concern over reducing property values around solar farms, aesthetics, and loss of arable land and wildland. Some are built around climate misinformation and misinformation about the health impacts of solar electricity. This movement could quickly hurt progress towards clean energy. Wind is also dealing with a lot of backlash and misinformation right now, and unfortunately, a new story will not help Wind's case at all. ESI Energy Inc., a subsidiary of NextEra Energy Inc., pled guilty to federal criminal charges after its wind farm killed about 150 eagles between now and 2012. Eagles are a big deal in the U.S., and it's illegal to kill them. NextEra is one of the largest U.S. providers of renewable energy. It's agreed to pay almost $30 million for every eagle killed and spend $27 million to prevent deaths. There are many things wind farms can do to avoid bird deaths, including painting one wind turbine blade black or using software that will turn off turbines when birds are detected. Now to some chemical news. The Belgian material supplier 3M announced that it would suspend the production of PFAS used in chip-making processes. They recently notified their clients, which includes Samsung and Intel. And it's back to the U.S. for our last news point of the day. The Environmental Working Group released its latest Dirty Dozen assessment, which lays out how common pesticides are found in a variety of fruits and vegetables. The most pesticide-heavy crops are strawberries, spinach, kale, collards and mustard greens, nectarines, apples, grapes, bell peppers, hot peppers, cherries, peaches, pears, celeries, and tomatoes. They found that over 90% of strawberries and other fruit samples had at least two types of pesticides detected. Fruit and dark leafy greens seem to have the most pesticides on them. A single sample of kale, collard, and mustard could yield 21 types of pesticides. Spinach has 1.8 times the amount of pesticide residue per weight than any other crop investigated. Meanwhile, some fruits and veggies with the least amount of pesticides are avocados, sweet corn, papaya, onions, kiwi, cabbage, mushrooms, and mangoes. And that was your climate news for the weekend. If you like the work I do, please give this a five-star rating, leave a review, and consider checking out the Becosphere Climate Corner YouTube channel. Remember to talk about the climate crisis every single day and to support your local news organizations. Bye for now.